0: So we're going to start Hanukkah and the miracle of Jewish survival. The two are completely interdependent, interrelated. And we're going to start off by talking a little bit of the hidden underlying uh, depth of Hanukkah and Chanukah, what the meaning of Hanukkah, as well as we're going to cover the story. In a way, I don't think you've heard it before. We're going to go through the history, which most people think Hanukkah was a war. That was one. And that was it. They don't realize we're talking about... Six mega conflicts, mega wars. Four that happened in the space of a couple of years. But really, uh, between 30 and 60 years, we had six mega, mega wars. But four of them were in the space of like 10, 10 years. So Chanukah, what does Chanukah mean? Chanukah means to stop, to settle, to camp. Hanu, Hanu. Now, koi is kafei, which is the name used in literature for the Shechina, for Hashem's presence in this world. So we had Hashem's presence before this world. Outside the world, which is Yud K and Vav K, but Hashem's presence in this world is the Shkina. It's Hashem's presence which is concealed. Nevertheless, everything in this world is a miracle, as the Ramban teaches us. There is no such a thing as teva, as just nature. God is hidden and concealed within the nature. So the miracle of Hanukkah is that unlike the, the the other chagim, Pesach, Sukkot, Shavuot. God suspends nature in all of those, right? So think of Shavuot. We have a national revelation. God opens the heavens. Think of uh, Pesach. God um, does the 10 plagues and splits the sea. So people are just standing in most people and bam, magic. There's no more laws of nat- nature. Suspended. The split split, right? It's dry land. They walk through dry land. Sukkot, 40 years in a desert. We're remembering the Sukkot of the desert that we set in the house. Or the cloud of glory. So again, laws of nature suspended. Food comes from heaven. Chanukah is a completely different festival. It celebrates the divine providence, the shkachah pratis, in every single detail of our lives. In all of the concealment of nature, God is there and running the show and present. We just have to reveal the light and, and notice it and realize it. So koi to dwell, the dwell shkina dwells here. Chanukah, the shkina dwells in everything. Chanukah. And... Chanukah can also be used as uh, the letters, chesnun, vav, kafhei. So it can also be used as chanukah, as in to dwell, koi, kafav, which is 26, which is God's name. 26 is the name of Yudkei equals Hashem's name, Yudkei equals 26. So Chanukah, God is in here. He's dwelling here with us. Chanukah also means that it ceased on kofhei, 25th of kislev, the war ceased. Right, so Chanukah, the war ceased on 25th of kislev. So the point of Hanukkah, the hidden point of Hanukkah, is that God is in everything. Now, we say the, 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 the Alanisim and Davening, the miracle that we are celebrating is not one of military might. We don't uh, glorify the action heroes, the, the war heroes in Judaism, because Judaism believes that what is true strength, strength of character. Hakobesh is Ezeh uh, Ho'gibor, who is strong, who is a warrior. Hakoivesh is Yitzra, one who conquers his character. Right. That is how we define strength. Like we said, uh, Hashem said, I created the uh, Yetzirah, evil inclination, Verasi Torah Tavlin. I created the Torah as the an antidote. Ben who is free? Right. Who is free? Someone who's evolved in Torah. So, because Torah, what Torah does is it frees us from our desires and our just natural impulses. It liberates us. So, to give us a strength of character to overcome just our natural animalistic uh, self and what we crave for etc so Hanukkah is about seeing God in everything unlike the other Chagim so it's 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 and how do we survive as a people for 2000 years only with the Torah let's think about that for a second right how does any nation define itself how is it defined how has anyone defined any people defined as a nation so they have generally speaking a common language a common culture and a common homeland Jews, for 2,000 years in exile had none of those. The Jews who spoke Spanish, the Jews who spoke English, Jews who spoke Arabic, Arabic yeah. l- Yiddish. L- 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 there l- l- wasn't a l- common l- l- Ledina, wasn't a common language. Um, the the as far common homeland, Jews living in Australia, Jews living in Bulgaria, Jews living in Egypt, Jews living in Spain, no common homeland and a common um, uh, culture. Well, we can't say that the stadium would appreciate. That eating kafil fish or eating children. there was definitely not a common culture. So what kept us as a nation to do the of exile was our Torah, right? Our Torah, and, the, and Hashem says, "If not for my law, day and night being studied day and night, the will of God of the Torah, then I would the laws of nature would, would I would suspend the laws of nature, then would, they would cease to exist. The world is only there. The post creation is that God's God finds expression." God's wisdom and God's will find expression through predominantly the Jewish people, but through humanity, but predominantly Jewish people through the mitzvot and the Torah they learn, they give expression to God's knowledge, expression to God's will. So that's the purpose of creation. That's why we're here. So we have to see God in everything. We're going to come back to this deeper understanding of Hanukkah later on. What we're going to do now is take a detour and really try to go through the Hanukkah story in a way that will, um, in a way that will, and, and I was saying from, from what we say now our list, in my status, because what do we say? In the days of right? uh, when the wicked uh, uh, kingdom of Greece um, came up against the Jewish people, in order for them to make them forget, to eradicate their Torah, and take them away from your will, from God's will, and therefore, new God, with your great mercy and kindness, you help the Jewish people. Right? Rathaziram, he fought their wars, Rathaziram, Judge of Judgment, Rathaziram took their revenge. Right? You put the hands of the, of the many and the powerful in the hands of the weak and the, and the few. So, what's the point here? That through nature, the Maccabees go to war. Right? We're going to learn here about the 6,000 rebels that they, they, retreated, to the Judea, they retreated to the Judean desert and they took on a mighty Syrian Greek army. But it was all done through natural means, through natural cause. They took spears, they took shells, they took swords, and they fought. But God, fought this war, as we say in the prayer here out of al in order for the Jewish survival, for the Jewish people to have survival, for the Torah to have a kiyom, to be sustained, right? Because otherwise, if the Greeks would have had their, their, their um, will, they would have eradicated the entire Torah and, mitzvahs and and which was the purpose of creation. So what actually happened on Hanukkah, as I said before, a lot of people think it was a one war and the Jews won, and then we light their candles, everyone's happy. It actually went on for the Hasmonean dynasty lasted over a 100 and almost 130 years. Um, And it's actually the wars between the Hasmoneans and the Greeks went on for about 60 years, uh, predominantly the first 30, 35, but about 60 years. And actually we have the story of Yehudit, which is before, because um, Yochanan was the father of Matthew Right, Matis-Yahu had five sons they were the Maccabees the five Maccabees right who were they? They were Shimon, Yochanan, Yehuda, Eliezer and Jonason Yonatan and so their father, their father was Matis-Yahu, but their grandfather was Yochanan, and Yohanans uh, had had a daughter called Yehudit, which was the five Maccabees auntie and already back uh, in, a, in a many years before decades before them kind of a story there was a Syrian-Greek officer trying to uh, capture the city of Bethula and his name was Holofernes. I don't know if I got that right. It's a Greek name, but Holofernes. And he was very uh, cruel and didn't show any mercy to cities city that, that uh, didn't surrender straight away and surrounded the Jewish town of Bethila. And the leader there, Uzziah, he um, was being questioned by the people as why he's not surrendering. And he said, give me five more days. And if we don't get a miracle in five days, that's before the Hanukkah story, right? If we don't get a miracle in five days, then we will surrender. So this Yehudis, um, she had previously, she was a recent widow. She'd been a widow for a couple of years. Her husband's name, her pastor was called the Nasha, And she set, challenges the leader, Uziah. She says to him, why are we... Trying to um, force God to do a miracle. Why are we trying to force God's hand to a miracle? Right? Where's your when i Why don't we, you know, let me go out like the times of Ya'el and Sisra, and let me go and take situation into my own hands, and God will deliver us. Right? God will give us as uh, as we say. God will give us help. So they thought she's crazy. This beautiful young widow. She was very modest, uh, uh, very refined character, daughter of the, of the high priest. The father was a high priest, a kind of adult. Crazy woman, like she wants to go out to the enemy camp to this, you know, uh, uh, horrible guy, coarse guy, yeah, this general. But she convinced him and she goes. She walks up to the camp, she tells the general uh, that I have a plan. Um, she befriends him and she tells him I have a plan that the Jews will surrender. Don't have to waste your time with them or your energy. Um, they're running out of food. They only eat kosher. When they stop eating kosher, they'll have to be re- uh, reduced to cannibalism. God forbid, from hunger. And then the God will turn on them, and He'll give them. They'll basically. They'll, they'll be a walkover. So it, she tells him, "Look, let me go back for three days. I'll go back and forth and I'll spy, and I'll tell you what's happening in the city with that way the hunger's up to." Anyway, <coughs> third day he's getting all impatient with her. He says, "No, I'll find out right now." And if she goes back, she says, "Yeah, it's happening tonight." She brings um, heavy cheese and wine from. Judea, this is the land, and this, this uh, city was in Judea. And she he's all happy and he falls asleep. And then she her she was always with him with her maidservant. So she never acted immodestly in this case, unlike um, the other cases we had with Yael and Esther, they had to um they have to make great sacrifices on behalf of the Jewish people, which is only permissible if you have it permission from the from the from the Sanhedrin from the High Court of 72. Or 71, I should say, and you also it's, it's sort of pu- the greater public um, um, salvation, the whole Jewish people, etc., and it's done in a way that it's not for your own benefit. If those three conditions are met, we can have exceptions to Esther and In this case, Yudas always was with, was with her maidservant. She never had this issue. Nevertheless, when he fell asleep, she cut off his head, put it in her bag, gathered herself, calmly left the tent they were in, said bye to the soldiers as she had total uh, freedom to walk around the camp as she was a friend of the, of the general, and she brought it back to Uzziah, and they celebrated the great victory. Now, that was the, the right in the beginning, um, but in 350 BCE, after the completion of the second temple, the great assembly, which was the Anshei Knesset Sagdola, was established, and a compromise of Ezra and Nehemiah, who brought back the gathering of the, of the exiles of the second temple, after uh, so the Purim story, the last prophets, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, as well as Mordechai, it's, you know, Mordechai from the Purim story, and Yeshua HaKadol, and eventually was Shimonat Sadiq. So the men of the great assembly, they came back in 350 BC and they built the temple. 350 BC, so BC we work down to zero. So now in 285 BCE, which is approximately 65 years later, Ptolemy II ascends the throne with a vision to spread the Greek culture and Hellenism throughout the Mediterranean basin especially in the land of Israel. The wealthy upper class and the priesthood were all influenced. This was the first culture war in history. As up until now, no other culture tried to stamp out Judaism. In the Persian Empire, they let everyone do their own thing. Effectively, Judah was independent, except that had to pay tax to the empire. So this is the first culture war we have in history. In 273 BCE, a further 12 years on, the last member of the Anshei Krestazagdaila, the Men of the Great Assembly, passed away. And with his passing, the power gets divided and it's no longer one role. There was, one, there was four roles in one. There was the high priest, which was the Kohen Gadol, the Nasi, which was the president of the Beis Din, um, Av Beis Din, and the tax Franchisor. And all of those were consolidated into one role. But with the passing of the last member of Ajax Adela, we have this separation of powers. Now, Eliezer, his brother of uh, Shimon al he became the high priest and the tax collector, representing the governmental power. And Antonin, Antoninus became the Abbes and the Nasi, the spiritual leader. So we have this divide now in Judea between the spiritual leader and the government, the governing party. Okay, which obviously is going to cause a lot of potential issues going forward because that means that conflicting interests, the ones with the money and the power, the governing bodies, are not always the ones with the spiritual uh, um, outlook. Hello, Diago, good to see you. Happy Hanukkah. Antoninus had two students... Hi, stu- how are you? Good, thank you. Thanks. He had two students who strayed and denied the legitimacy of the Oral Torah. The ends with Tzadok and Baisasa and, and Baisas. And uh, their followers later became known as the Sadducees. Uh, the Hellenists always aligned with Sadducees in the internal power struggle. So this is very important because as we go along with the Greek attack and the Greek undermining of our traditions and of our sovereignty, they, they had inside people. And these were the, the warring factions between the what we would call the uh, religious Jews and the Jews who were more uh, loyal to the Hellenists, which were the Sadducees, okay, who undermined the, the rabbinic authority. After Antoninus died, the four positions of power were split amongst four people. So now we have two now going against four. And from here on, it's when we have the Zugos, the pairs, starting with Yosef Ben-Ez and Yosef ben Yohanan. They were on the spiritual side of things for the next two centuries. This is also the time when the first makhloikas uh, disputes evolved and different opinions became part of, the tradition of, part of the transmission of the oral law according to the Talmud. So until this point, there's no um, disputes. There's a dispute how we like the Hanukkah menorah. We like one to eight or eight to one, right? But before this point, there was no disputes because there was one, it was all consolidated. But then what happened was all those four positions turned into that were, that were in one, turned to four different positions, and things started to get more um, divided up. <clears throat> Hellenism constantly threatened the Jewish way of life. So in 109, 199 BC, we're talking now 150 years after the construction of the Second Temple. The Ptolemaic Empire was outmaneuvered by the Seleucid Empire who captured Judah. <clears throat> now, during this the early Second Temple era, the economy was very successful, middle-class. Um, it was set up by Nehemiah. He was a prominent, politically powerful, wealthy man. And he created an economic system um, not of serfs and lords, but rather of small farmers, middle-class merchants, wholesalers, and a small priestly aristocracy. So there was therefore a large core of economically independent, self-sufficient middle- class people who, were, who weren't intimidated by any attempts to establish a ruling aristocracy or even a di- dictatorial rule dictatorial rule. The middle class always stayed loyal to the Torah, Jewish traditions and rabbis. This supported helped to expand the, this support helped expand the study of Torah throughout Judah. There were cattle and sheep raising industries there, and the temple service assured continuous demand for the cattle. Milk and dairy products were abundant, and fine cheeses were marketed around Judea. Judea. Um, and especially in, in the Jerusalem area, there was special wool market, and Jews were specialists in spinning and dyeing wool. There was a lot of flax grown, and from it linen was manufactured, processed, and often exported. The wool led to a cloth and textile industry, much of which was, was exported. The Mount of Olives had olive presses everywhere, and date honey and wine was abundant as well. The Sea of and the Mediterranean, spawned Jewish fishermen. Fish juice and salted, cured and dried fish were very popular. The Dead Sea also exported minerals like sulfur and pitch that were used for cosmetics. The country was also rich in stone. Even the rabbis had professions, such as shopkeepers, tradesmen, artisans, and scribes. Every possible trade profession was present in Judah. So at this point, right, we're coming into a very, very self-sustainable middle class. We're not that bothered, but they're very loyal to the Torah and our traditions. They're not that worried about dictatorial rule. Right. But as we're about to see, the Syrian Greeks had a different plan to come in by force and impose on this independent middle class. You know, let live, uh, you know, uh, just let live and be happy middle class. Live and let live. 175 BCE, Seleucus IV, the son of Antiochus III attempts to rob the temple, Betamikdash, of all its vessels, very like all the golden vessels. Chaniar III, the high priest, and Yeshua and Prachia and Nitarabeli, they they were the leaders, the spiritual leaders. They opposed the move, but the tax collectors and the Hellenist supporters supported it. Helidurus died at the temple entrance, which was a miracle, right? He, He tried to infiltrate the temple and weapons he drops dead at the entrance and this wasn't a one-off this happened many times throughout the throughout the temple era like told me four also before him tried to enter and was strictly unconscious at the door and bam fell to the floor and was as that was out cold right so and this is the thing about the miracle of god's presence in the second temple era no one believed the romans 400 years uh, later 420 years well from the beginning but a couple of centuries after this, after the Greek tried, would be successful because everyone who tried just died at the entrance, right? It was the temple worked on a miraculous supernatural level. At this time, Jerusalem was a city of hundreds of thousands. So we're getting a context, we're painting a picture of what was happening prior to the Assyrian Greeks trying to uh, force the the Hellenization of the Jewish people in Jerusalem. 174 BCE, Chania was deposed as high priest by Antiochus, who accepted a bribe from Chanis Hellenized brother. Okay, so we got the, the spiritual power struggle here in the Beit Hamikdash. Who's going to be the high priest of the Beit Hamikdash? Jason was given the role. Jason was committed to Hellenizing the Jews. He encouraged participation in sports, the glorification of the human body. Sports in the Greek world were an individual rather than a team effort, leading to an arrogant self-aggrandizement and competitive violence. Sport always meant nudity. And decadent behavior, sacrifices to Greek gods preceded all tournaments, like the national anthem does today. The sports were identified with paganism, licensuousness, and thank you yes. uh, of Greek society and became the anthema, traditional Jewish lifestyle. So we have to remember, we're talking about uh, uh, Greek sports, we're talking about idolatry, we're talking about worship to the to the to the human body, we're talking about immorality, right? Uh, we're talking about decadent behavior. So, it, and they were doing this and setting up all these gyms to Hellen around Judea and, and Jerusalem and Israel to Hellenize the Jewish people and try to get them away from their spiritual um, pursuits. They wanted to be, as we said before, strength of character. How do you become from someone who learns Torah, refines his character, overcome his his natural inclination, his animalistic side to him, his animalistic uh, uh, body desires, that's who's, who we consider to be, to be a, a, a hero and, and, a, and a warrior and a strong person. But the Greeks came to try to just, uh, you know, force everyone into physical strength, which is very shallow and very um, superficial because it only lasts a few years and someone else becomes the strongest guy. It doesn't, it's, not, it's, not, it's not eternal. It doesn't last very long, uh, physical strength, physical might. Jason is replaced in 171 BC by Menelaus. Uh, Antiochus puts in Men- Menelaus. I don't know if this is, this is all Greek names, so forgive me if I don't, my Greek isn't fluent. Uh, Menelaus was a big crook, a brague and a self-hating Jew. In 169 BCE, we're getting very close to the Hanukkah story now. Jason tries to oust Menelaus. However, Antiochus sends an army to defeat him and reinstalls Menelius, as well as begin his attempt to eradicate Judaism, eradicate Yahudut. He also pillages a temple, and viewing Jason's revolt as a rebellion against his rule, he massacres 40,000 Jews, right? Because of the revolt, he massacres. And again, Jason was a Hellenist, wasn't pro-religion. But nevertheless, um, Antiochus sees this as a revolt by all the people, kills 40,000. This is is what Josephus records. So, 167 BCE, we're getting now to the Hanukkah story. Okay? So remember, we started the Second Temple era at 350. We're down to 167. So we're we're about 185-ish years into the Second Temple era, which lasted 420. So midway to the Second Temple era. What happens? Antiochus, right? Antiochus. Everyone knows Antiochus from Hanukkah. He sends his army again to massacre Jews as he was wary of Menelaus tensions, even though he... he, he uh, he put him in power. He was worried about him. So he was worried that his intentions to wholeheartedly the Jews. He thought maybe he's not really trying to Hellenize them. So he breached the temple walls in 13 places. Antiochus' army, Syrian Greeks, they come to the base of Mikdash. 13 places they breached the walls. They decreed that pigs, Khazir, pigs must be sacrificed in the temple service. Right? People often say, why do you have such a repulsiveness, uh, such an emotional reaction to pigs? Well, uh, we have a long history of pigs being used to offend us yeah you know offend us um he erected greek temples and altars throughout judea he banned all jewish resilience of shabbat bris kosher family purity and festivals all the things that make us jewish without uh the jewish festivals and jewish calendar we can't have any we can't have any you know functioning you need to have everything the calendar for the festivals of shabbat you everything pesach any jewish behavior was punished by death Till now, the Greeks were not forceful and their attempt to the Jews. So for the first hundred years, the Greek empire did not try to force their world view and ideology on anyone. But now they are trying to force it. In 166 BC, they're trying to force it. So now we have to look at a story. 165 BCE, 185 years since the Second Temple was, re- was rebuilt. What happens? Mattisiao, an old man, he leads the rebellion. He's a spiritual leader. He, again, he's the son of Yochanan the high priest, and he. And you have to remember that the, the 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 Maccabean dynasty lasted 125 years approximately. So there's many Yochanans, Mattathias, uh, Yonatan's, Yonatan's because they get reincarnated again and again. You know, 30 years later, and again, 60 years later, again, 90 years later. So the first one, Yochanan and Gadal, the son Matis-Yo, and Mattathias had five sons. This is the first initial... Original Hanukkah story, the Hanukkah miracle in, in one sixty six BC, one sixty five BC. The five sons of are, ah, Again, for those who tuned in: Shimon, Yochanan, Yehuda, Eleza, and Yonasan. These are the five sons. Of Batis, these are the five Maccabees that we refer to as the Hanukkah miracle. What happens? A Greek altar is erected in Modi'in. That's where they live, Modi'in, right? Mattityahu and his sons were Kohanim, and they proclaimed. Mattityahu proclaimed the famous words, three words: Me, Lashem, Eli, Who is with God? Come to me, come to me. They killed the Jewish collaborator and the Greeks and the Greek soldiers who erected this temple, this altar, and they retreated with six thousand soldiers, Jewish soldiers, Macedonian soldiers, from where they conducted to the, to the Judean desert, where they where they conducted a successful guerrilla warfare against the more numerous and better armed Greek, Syrian Greeks. Okay, this is one sixty six. Now, in one sixty five, a year later, the Obatiel dies. And the war against the Greeks and the Hellenist allies was in full force, led by Yehuda Maccabee, his son. And he was the warrior. But Yal was the patriarchal figure who gave the rebellion spiritual and religious fervor. Yehuda, however, was the pragmatic leader, the warrior general whose skill, courage and tactics translated the religious hope of freedom into victory on the battlefield. Yehuda continued to rally up Jewish forces and prepare them for the long ordeal ahead. Antiochus' main two generals, Philip and Apollonius, attempted to annihilate, to annihilate the Hasmonean forces, but instead suffered serious setbacks at Nablus and beis Charon. A third general, Seron, was sent with a far larger army to base Charon, but he too was defeated by Judah. Antiochus swore to crush the Jews and lay waste to their country, but his personal problems distracted him. His treasury was drained from his lavish personal spending, campaigns of, con- of conquest, the upkeep of his large army, and the necessity of paying tribute to Rome. Therefore, before turning to Judea, he invaded Persia to collect tribute owed to him and appointed Lysias in charge of his government at home in Syria. So just to point out what I've just said in this paragraph, we've already had three wars, right? In 66, they, they retreat into the Judean forests, with 6,000 uh, 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 milit- militants, you know, uh, Maccabees. They conduct guerrilla warfare for a year. In, and then in 65, we've already had three different confrontations against three different Syrian-Greek armies led by three different Syrian-Greek generals, right? And the, and the six wars that I mentioned haven't even started yet. So you just want to paint a picture of what's going on, right? They, they, they won a war. Which wars they win? They won 60 to 100 years of sovereignty ongoing and keeping in mind that the greek army at the time was like well power the world dominant superpower exactly yeah. they were like incredible yeah they were the world dominant superpower they were the america of today absolutely so now we're getting to the to the action uh to the action of, of the first major war with the miracle of haruka so lysis after these three generals all lost so we had the general of philip Apollonius, as well as Saron, and they lost in uh, we said they lost in, um, in Nablus, in Beis Kharan. And so now what's happening is, is that Lysis is coming back with an army, the famous, an army of 50,000 soldiers. Okay. Just to put it in perspective, 50,000. The Hasmoneans started with 6,000. They weren't, and this is, they probably started with casualties. So the three great generals, the best generals they had were Dominus, the famous Nicanor, infamous Nicanor, and Georgius. Okay, they came to crush the Asmodee rebellion. have marshaled his, force, his forces near Mitzvah. Where's Mitzvah? It's the site of Shmuel's burial. The site of Shmuel's grave. And with guile and with, Shmuel the prophet, yeah, prophet Samuel. And with guile and courage, he outmaneuvered the far larger Syrian army, forcing them to divide and destroying its various components, killing many thousands and forcing the rest to flee north to Syria. There was now no large Syrian force remaining in Judea, allowing Judah to liberate Jerusalem from the Hellenist collaborators who had the temple. No, they had the temple, right? The Hellenists controlled the temple and, and, and the high priest, the, the Quangonel, the, the, they wiped out the the, uh, the Syrian Greeks. They got rid of the Hellenist collaborators in the temple. They purified the temple and its vessels, as well as destroyed and removed all the pagan idols on the temple mount. You know, we said they sacrificed pigs and they brought in all of their, all of their idol, idols and, and altars. He then lit the, the, the Hanukkah candelabra in the temple. They, only, they couldn't find any pure oil because they had everything was tomate. They found one jug of oil under miraculously. They found it miraculously under the floor. And it lasted, instead of one day, it lasted for eight days. Famous question, why are there eight nights of Hanukkah? There should only be seven because the first day wasn't a miracle. And the answer is many answers. Number one answer is that the fact that they even found it is a miracle. Number two is, is that... Um, some say that the miracle was that the actual, the first day, it only burnt an eighth. So the oil burnt an eighth each day. So therefore, the first day was also part of the miracle because it only burnt an eighth, uh, one eighth each day. So therefore, the jug lasted for a minute, for all eight days. Um, but there are many, many answers. Anyway, continuing on. The dear of Hanukkah is, it's not merely a commemoration of victory of arms, nor of religious freedom, as many people in their ignorance believe it to be. It is rather a clear restatement of an essential truth that the Torah demands of the Jewish people individually and nationally, continuing sacrifice and unwavering commitment. and that when when these are present in Jewish society, spiritual and even supernatural help will always guarantee Jewish survival. The symbol of the candelabra, candelabra, the Hanukkah of the temple, and of the eternal lights shining therefrom has become the symbol of the people of the Torah of Israel. It's because of this emphasis on spiritual triumph and the victory of belief in Torah, ritual, and values that Hanukkah is timeless and eternal. And God makes a promise that the Jewish people will be eternal nation, eternal nation. It's God's promise. But it's not a promise to the individual. It's a promise to the nation. Every Jew has to decide if they want to be part of that promise, if they want to continue their Jewish heritage, their Jewish tradition, their Jewish culture, or if they want to assimilate. Because the Greeks, the Romans, the Assyrians, throughout history, the Spanish Inquisition, whatever we go through, the Nazis, many, many, many uh, cultures tried to destroy the Jewish people and failed, many superpowers, and failed. They all had their time on earth, they made a lot of noise, they were superpowers, they dominated sometimes for a thousand years, Greeks dominated Rome. But they're gone. The Jews live on. Because whoever connects to the Torah, which is God's eternal will, which is an inseparable part of God, we spoke about last week, God's will and God are inseparable from, from, from him, God's wisdom and God are inseparable from him, it's all one, God and his wisdom are one, God and his will are one, you connect to God's will, you last eternally forever. That is the light of Hanukkah, the light of eternity. Connect to God's will, you live forever. You separate from the tree of life, the, the God is source of life. When you attach to the tree of life, you are alive, the source of life. If you disconnect from the source of life, the leaf falls off the tree, and it has a few days in the sun, a few days in the wind, dances around, and it withers and it dies. So <clears throat> we have the that 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 war is the war we refer to in the Al Hanissim prayer, where Nicanor is defeated by Yehuda. Fifty thousand Assyrian Greeks are defeated. The Hellenists are defeated in the Temple Mount. And the old city of Jerusalem is taken back and they reinstate the Kohen Gadol, the way the Torah demands of us, the ritual and tradition and Al-Achot, how we have to do it purely. the And that's the miracle. But continuing on, what happens is in 163 BC, which is only two years later, you expands the kingdom and pushes non-Jewish tribes out of Jewish settlements in the Galilee. In the, Galilee. <clears throat> the kingdom was viable in terms of territory and Hebron <coughs> and the port of, of Jaffa were, re- were regained. So they they were becoming a sovereign state once again under Judah. In 164, a year earlier, Antiochus died, and his son Antiochus V um, was crowned under the regency of Lysias, However, Philip, a close advisor of Antiochus, Senior, claimed he was appointed, so there was a power struggle in Greece. So in order to gain legitimacy, Lysias sought to conquer Judea, sending a large army, this time 120,000, 100 soldiers and 20,000 horsemen as well, uh, rallied up to the as well as well with the with the Hellenist resistance right they also had thousands of Hellenist Jews who were in Jerusalem trying to in Judea trying to side with the, the Greeks um, to fight against the Maccabees the war was costly to both sides however before it could be decided Lysis received news that Philip was attempting a coup in Syria so he struck a truce with Yehuda granting the Jews full religious and some political autonomy he returned to Syria and ex- executed Philip but his rule came to an end when, when Antiochus was assassinated in 161 BC. So that was the second war. 120,000 and Yehuda and a few thousand Jewish militants, uh, tribesmen hiding in Judean deserts, managed to outmaneuver and hold up 120,000 plus all of their Hellenist allies. It's 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 not it's not it's supernatural what's happening here. It's clearly a divine hand. It's Koi, that God, the Koi, is dwelling in 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 the nature. The nature is Hanukkah. God is in the nature. God is helping 6,000 Maccabees defeat countless attempts. This is already the fifth time they try to attack, right? They had all the other generals we said before. This is the second war, but it's already the sixth or seventh time that they try to attack, right? 161 BC, four years after. Four years after, what happens? Demetrius becomes emperor of Syria. Attempts to conquer Judea. He sent his famous general, Nicanor, who already suffered defeat at the hands of, of the Maccabees a few years earlier, right, the Nicanor. He already lost. Yeah? If you get... Now, this time, Nicanor came with 35,000 soldiers and Judah's army, the greatly outnumbered. They killed Nicanor. They destroyed his entire army, right? The victory was so stunning and complete that it led the rabbis to declare an annual national holiday on the 13th of Adar. Right, this is the third war. 35,000 Nicanor, the best, most skillful, most feared general was killed, and his entire army was wiped out by Yehuda. Now, around this time in 161, four years after the, the Hanukkah story took place, Yoichanan, the elder brother, was killed, the elder Maccabee was killed by a Bedouin Prizman. seemingly unrelated incident, so he was killed. Now, in 160, five years on, Yehuda fully aware that the threat from Syria hadn't passed, entered into a treaty with Rome against the council of the rabbis. The Gemara tells us, the Ramban, 32, 32.4, that the rabbis criticized Yehuda for this. He was very righteous, but he should not have brought him Rome. Why? Don't invite the lion into your house. Yeah, he thought, I'll invite Rome to counter the Greeks. Bad idea. Rely on God. Don't invite. Once the, ro- once the lion is there, he's hungry. If he doesn't get raw meat somewhere else, he's going to find it here. So anyway, in 130 BC, Demetrius, unafraid of the Roman, distant Rome uh, alliance, sent another army. This is the fourth u- war we have in five years. The fourth war in five years. Right? And then it sold hundreds of thousands of soldiers and Greek soldiers to subdue Jerusalem. This time, the Asmonean army wavered in the face of overwhelming Syrian strength. And Yehuda was mortally wounded in the battle and later died. This demoralized the Asmonean camp. And the Syrians and their Hellenist collaborators took power of Jerusalem once again. They took the Beit Hamikdash, just five years since the great miracle of Hanukkah had lit the lamp of Jewish freedom and Torah life in Jerusalem, it was in danger of being snuffed out again. So I'm, I'm trying to explain the context. Yes, we celebrated Hanukkah. It lasted five years. We had, this is the fourth war. So they had tremendous victories. But within five years, they lost everything, seemingly lost everything they gained, which is why it's so important that we continue to understand what, what happens, right? That God continued Hanukkah, that God's presence continued to act in a supernatural way to regain the light of the Torah, that the Torah will have God's promise of eternity. It will live on. And it won't be wiped out by the most powerful civilization that ever roamed the earth, the Greeks, at that, up until that point. 153 BCE, seven years later, what happens? So seven years, we have Beit HaMikdash. it's in the hands of the Hellenists in the hands of the Assyrian Greeks. The constant threat of Syrian Greek conquest reconquest, prevented the Hasmoneans from ousting the Hellenists from Jerusalem, or ever. Demetrius was having a power struggle with Alexander Ballas. So he reached out to Yohanneson for support. And in return, Yohanneson was the Maccabee, right? Another brother, one of the five, son of Matusha, one of the five sons. And in return, offered him rule over a fully autonomous Judea. We see it all over Tanakh. God tells the prophets, Jeremiah and all the prophets, I'm going to make him have problems at home. I'm going to make him have problems at home. I'm going to give Alexander the Great This, this is part of God's plan. God is behind the rise and fall of great king, kings and kingdoms, empires, in order for one purpose, because he has a plan for the Jewish people and for the world, right? That's why God—it's all synchronized to one global destiny. It's not a picture frame, a still frame, a still shot. There's a video of history that God is making: kingdoms rise, kingdoms fall, bad guys are successful. Why? Because God has a plan for the Jews. Alexander the Great was very good to the Jews. He had tremendous success. You would say he was very bloodthirsty, evil conqueror, but he had tremendous success. Why? Because he was very good to the Jews. Till today, we name our kids Alexander. Alexander. Why? Because he was very good to the Jews. People don't know this, but so was Julius Caesar, who was very good to the Jews. People don't know this, but he was. Okay, let's go further. So what happens is is that Johanneson takes power. He makes um, an alliance with Demetrius, who's having trouble from um, the power struggle with Alexander Belas, and he takes full control over Judea, and he takes away the power of the Hellenists and takes back Yerushalayim and the temple. So we have the temple back. After seven years, we get the temple back, and the Kohen Gadol is now done according to halacha. Yonatan, Yonatan was a shrewd judge of character, a very astute diplomat. He established a relationship with Alexander Balas, who ended up defeating Demetrius and became a valuable ally of his. Yonatan, with the backing of Alexander, instituted himself as the high priest. thus ending the rule of the family of Tzalek and that position. So this was a big problem. The Maccabees, in all of their greatness, in all of their righteousness um, and success... They did make some mistakes. They were human. We had a mistake before when Yehuda invited Roman, in, which was criticized by the, by the sages of the Talmud. And so to here, there were priests, the, the Maccabees, they were Kohanim, but the, 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 the priest, the high priest was always done by the family of Sadoch Kohen. That was the tradition going that for generations. And Yochanan now, with, with his new consolidated power, put himself as the high priest, Kohen Gadol, which was wrong. And this begins a long line of Khashmai Noim, Koyen Godo. A, then take the high priest, the, the high priest position going down for many generations, which they shouldn't have done. Um, so in 145 BC, Alexander was assassinated by Demetrius II, right, who came to rule. Now, Yohannes had tried to enter the treaty with him and reduced the tribute payment to Syria as well as expanded the land of Israel in Samaria and Galilee. He now was in reach of his goal of restoring the entire land of Israel, the Jewish rule for the first time in the life of the Second Commonwealth. So again, Second Commonwealth was a work in progress. And Yonason was almost there of reconquering the entire land of Israel, the biblical land of Israel. The Syrians kept on changing power and Trifon invited Yonason to make a treaty. But what happened? He killed him instead with his two sons. Yonason's daughter was Josephus's ancestor. So what happens is now 137 BC, Yonason had taken control um, very skillfully from 153, so let's say for about 15 years, and he, he got back the base of Middash, he got back the coin the, the Gadol, everything was done koin talacha. even though he was doing it himself, it was done to In 137 BC, his brother Shimon, uh, who's the third Maccabee brother, fought a skilled military, this is, the, this is the fifth war, the fifth war with the Greeks, he fought 137 BC, so the first war was 165, so we are now 27 years on, and we're now at the fifth war with the Greeks. Shimon fought a skilled military political war against Trifon, causing his army to retreat from Judean soil. He also entered into a treaty with Demetrius II, the rival of Trifon, and now the circumstances of Syria had caused a change in attitude towards the Jews. Shimon was able to achieve that which eluded his, brother, his other Asmenean brothers, and he restored true independence and sovereignty over Judea, okay? In the last effort of Jerusalem, Antiochus VII, successor of Demetrius II, was defeated by Shimon's army in the town of Yavne, and Yehuda entered a new era of peace, prosperity, and spiritual and physical renewal. So again... Again, another couple of wars, wars five and six and seven. Shimon now does what Ye- uh, Yehuda couldn't do, what Yoichanan couldn't, uh, what couldn't do, and now Shimon restores the entire country to its to, to, to Jewish sovereignty, to lachic rule of Yerushalayim and Beit Enters a new pe- a new a new era of peace, prosperity, and spiritual and physical renewal. Now, in 135 BCE, Shimon's son-in-law, told me, plots with Antiochus to kill Shimon and take power. Shimon was unsuspecting his son-in-law, unfortunately, and he was successful, and he killed Judah and with his sons. Uh, He killed Shimon with his sons, Judah and So, what happened was, is that Shimon's son, Yochanan, took power of the Hasmonean dynasty and chased away his brother-in-law, Ptolemy, and um, he fought more wars against against Antiochus. The sixth war he fought was in 129 BCE. Antiochus' final attempt to Jerusalem was defeated by Yochanan, And he restores Israel to almost biblical borders. And in 1104 BCE, so that's that's 25 years later, Erkinen dies after becoming the end of his life. Unfortunately, he became a Sadducee, right? In his life, Erkinen was 80 years old, and he became a Sadducee. Now, the the, the Hasmonean rule went all the way to down from 1104, from Erkinen's times, all the way through to 37 BCE which was when Roman in, Romans installed Herod the Great, uh, ending 127 years of Hasmonean rule. So what I'm trying to demonstrate to you is the Hanukkah story, I'm sure you never heard it like this before, wasn't a one-off thing. We're talking about countless wars. Each war had different fronts, different generals, different places, talking about in, in fighting in Choron and fighting in, fighting in all different places, right? And Throughout it all, God's promise that the Jewish people will be eternal people and that the Torah will, if <speaking> i <than blacks> I thought for my word, day and night, my covenant, day and night, the continuation of my covenant, day and night, then <speaking from horse sight> then the laws of nature will be suspended. There won't be a world. There won't be a world. The world will cease to exist. So God kept that promise. And so what is Chanukah really? What is Hanukkah? Hanukkah is the revelation that God is in everything, like the Ramban says. God is in everything, right? What is the idea of the menorah? The idea of the menorah is that we have a kli. A kli in Hebrew, it means a vessel, utensil. The kli has a little wick, right? And all we come and do is light a match and that gives the the opportunity for the flame to be ignited and to spread light. So the whole world, the life of a Jew and the, the outlook of a Jew is that the whole world is just one big Hanukkah menorah. What do we mean by that? So we spoke a lot about Kabbalistic ideas the last couple of weeks. The world is really full of God's light. God conceals his light in this world to give us the opportunity to have a relationship with him and to earn our reward because God wants to bestow kindness on us. So the whole world really is a Kli. It's a Hanukkah utensil vessel with God's light in it, just waiting for us to come and reveal that light. Just what we have to do is light the match. That's all we have to do. How do we How do we reveal God's light? How do we do that? Through our actions, our thoughts, and our our speech and our words. When we sanctify things in the world, right? We bring out the holiness, we bring, we, we recognize it's from God every time we make a blessing, every time we eat. We act in a holy way, when we whatever we do in life, whether it's with the way we make Shabbat holy, we separate Shabbat from the rest of the week, where we get married, make marriage holy, separate marriage through through a chuppah, kedushin kudushin and get married to one wife, etc. We make the world a holy place. So like Hanukkah candles, which are just a little little uh, uh, utensil, a little clay with a wick, and we just come and light the match. The world is a clay containing God's light, and we just have to come and reveal it. Light like the little match through our thoughts, through our actions. That's the life of a Jew, and that's the purpose of creation. And that's why we start off, it's so important that the, mir- the, the, the whole point of the world it's to God to have relationship with us in order to bestow kindness and ultimate reward on us. This world, this world is the world of maximum challenge, the Harvard exam. Next world is the world of maximum reward. And uh, Reactive of Emden actually says that the miracle of Jewish survival is greater than the miracle of the miracles of the exodus of Egypt. Because the fact that we have lasted 2,000 years in exile, which is God's promise that you'll be, a, you'll be an eternal nation, it's an absolute miracle. How is it possible that all of the mighty world powers, we have the Assyrians and the Babylonians and the Persians and the Greeks and the Romans, and we go all the way through it. They all tried superpowers. They all tried to wipe us out unsuccessfully. And they're all gone. And they're all gone, and we're here. Yeah, the secret is through the Torah. The Torah lives on. And um, what, what, what the nations of the world couldn't do is, is destroy God's eternal promise to us, which was that that will live eternally and carry his will, transmit his will to the world, God says to Moses, Adam Adamachai, we spoke about this last week. Can man see me and live? So, last week we spoke about the soul's journey and true consciousness, expanded consciousness comes when the soul leaves the body in death. The irony is true consciousness comes with death. So, you can't see God and live. You can't see God while you're alive. But God says, You can't see my face, Yurena He says, I won't show you my face, he tells Moses, "What's my face, but you'll see me from uh, khairai, from behind, meaning you will see me through the patterns of history. Through the Jewish story, you'll see me, right? And in fact, one of the great uh, um, historians uh, told King Louis that he asked him, where, where's, where's, where's where's evidence of miracles of God in the world? And he said, look at the Jews, i your majesty. So the point here is, is that if you look at a still frame, you only see a very small picture. Like a exiles, right? But if you look at the video of history, then you see God. From behind, you can see God from, through destiny of the Jewish people, the miraculous survival of the Jewish people, the, 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 the promise that was already given three thousand years ago, that you're going to survive eternally, despite all the things that have happened to us, right? We already had this promise that we're going to survive, and the Torah is going to survive, and the Jews are going to survive, and that we have. That is the miracle, and that is the proof, and that of, of God, and of God's hand in nature, which is concealed, And it's also how we can understand God in the world because we can see him through Jewish survival, right? We can't see God in this life without without what we call fleishig ogen in Yiddish, with our physical eyes, but we can see God through his divine providence. And that's the story of Hanukkah until today. But I want to say one important thing to finish off. That is that all of these uh, uh, um, civilizations failed to wipe us out, but... It's also um, incumbent on us to keep our heritage because more Jews have been lost in America than in Nazi Germany, right? Jews in America for the last 100 years is still the same 6 million population hasn't grown. Why? Because there other 50% um, intermarriage rate. So it's not only a question of what they want to do to us. Do we cherish our culture? Do we cherish our heritage? Do we cherish our traditions? And do we value our relationship with God and the source of eternal life do we want to be part of the of the video of the big picture do we want to be part of the eternal plan or do we just want to be living like the leaf that's that's broken away from the tree having its time in the sun having its time in the wind dancing freely but it's it's just going to wither and decay and disappear as, as just like a photo right do we want to be part of the photo or we want to be part of the eternal picture and that's what the message of Chanukah is. It's true survival, Chanukah, If we see God in everything, if we see that God wants to have a relationship, relationship with us, whatever we do, it's not that in shul, I want to have a relationship with you. When you daven have a relationship with you, right? On Yom Kippur, a relationship with you on Shabbat. No, every day, every second, God wants to have a relationship with us. Whatever we do, it says, God wants to have a dwelling place in our house. He wants to have a dira. A dira means, in, in, in Israel, a dira means an apartment. But in our lowly world with us, the further we are from Him, the, the, the more He wants to be with us. He wants his light to be revealed. It's not a, 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 a Kunz, it's not a chiddush or a trick for God's light to be revealed in the high spiritual worlds where, where there's revelation, there's God's presence everywhere with angels. You can see, but in a world of concealment where God's light is so hidden within the laws of nature, to see God from there, to bring out the Hanukkah light within the laws of nature, to see that everything that the Ramban explains is a miracle every time you 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 have a baby every time you open your eyes you see you think you 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 taste you smell it's a miracle it doesn't have to be that way God is continuously sustaining you and your life and your ability and the world it's all a miracle because he wants to have a relationship with you we see the God dwelling in everything and we live our life like that we that is the secret to Jewish survival and to um to being part of God's eternal plan and to survival as a nation and to survival as an individual as well. where our, our, our destiny totally synchronizes with the national destiny of the Jewish people and God's divine plan, global plan for the world.